from deep inside your audio device of choice. Ooh, I wonder if the button was pushed too soon. Here it is. Ladies and gentlemen, you know, you've heard of uh, influencers, of course, and uh, more recently, micro-influencers. I know, it seems nutty, but they're real. So I'm, I'm going to be first, I think, based on um, my audience size, to uh, say to you, I'm a nano-influencer. So both of you, you know, just watch what I Watch what I eat, watch what I use, watch what I wear. And then, uh, you know, they just be like that, both of you. Um, there's so much talk these days about China. China! There's uh, one of the flip-flops Joe Biden was uh, caught in, apart from uh, his position on the Hyde Amendment. No, it does not involve leather. Uh, the... Um, but he, he um, not that long ago, was caught in a speech saying that China is no threat. And now, of course, he's saying China is a threat. China is the major threat. Which, you know, if you're going to pick threats, I'd pick the one that doesn't have equally as many nuclear weapons as the United States does. That's just me. You know, playing the odds. But I'm just a nano-influencer. So anyway, here's the thing about China. Here's why I, I, I know with the, with the 5G and the Huawei and everything. By the way, speaking of Huawei, or by the Huawei, you come into uh, London, where I am right now, and big, big, splashy, beautifully art-directed advertising campaign here in Britain for Huawei. Like, don't you, don't you cut us out of your 5G business, Britain? It's kind of the... Uh, the subliminal message, the, the surface message is, aren't we nice? Anyway, China, the reason I don't take it absolutely seriously as a threat, ladies and gentlemen, is really simple. Are you aware, I know some of you are, some of you world-traveling types, you sophisticates, that China, and look at it on a map, it's, it's a big country, it's not as big as Russia. Russia has 12 time zones, the United States has four. China... Australia has three or four, four and a half, something like that. Canada, well, Canada, excuse me, uh, has four or five now, has five. Atlantic time. China has one time zone. At any given time of the day, half the population is in the dark for no good reason. Because they have one time. I'm going to be scared of a country when... They get a proper number of time zones. You know, wake me when that happens, please. Now, I woke today to find out that uh, that uh, apparently bottomless well of wit and wisdom, <laughs> President Trump, um, has done it again. He told a crowd, it's, it's reported now, he told this to a crowd in April, only today, is it surfacing in the Washington Post? He told the crowd he might remain in the Oval Office at least for 10 or 14 years. By which time they'll be calling it the Awful Office with O-F-F-A-L, get it? No, sorry. As you know, of course, the 22nd Amendment of the Constitution limits the presidency to two terms, two consecutive terms. 
He uh, tweeted, oh, I see this is the reason that the Washington Post dredged that up. He tweeted this morning, the good news is at the end of six years after America's been made great again and I leave the beautiful White House, do you think that people would demand that I stay longer? Uh, I would just say, ladies and gentlemen, I'm cool. It's job insurance for me. Hello. Welcome to the show.
From London, England, from Leicester Square. You remember Leicester Square? He was uh, the kid with the bad sweaters in school. I'm Harry Shearer, welcoming you to this edition of the show. And now, ladies and gentlemen, News of Dominion. We got it. We're not giving it up. No matter what happens. We're running this earth. And here's what happens as a result. Scientists from NOAA, that's not the guy in the Bible, that's the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration, and LSU, wow, they do research there. Uh, They published a forecast this week predicting this spring's record rainfall in the middle of the United States is going to produce one of the largest ever dead zones in the Gulf of Mexico. So if you're looking for a... um, place to come visit this year, well, what can beat a a very large dead zone? It's going to be the the second largest in the world. I don't think the the French have anything that size. (laughs) The French. I am correct. An area the size of New Jersey could become almost entirely barren this summer, posing a threat to marine species and the fishermen who depend on them and the people who depend on them for the fish. You might think as well. Nancy Rabelais, an LSU marine ecologist who developed one of the recent forecasts, called the outlook one of the most severe she's ever seen. Unoxygenated dead zones appear in waterways whenever algae are overfed by runoff from human activities. That's right. We run this place. We do some runoff. What's your problem? I, 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 don't, I don't hear the algae complaining. This is... Um, Urbanization and agriculture would be the two major human activities that do that. It's called eutrophication. If you want to uh, talk about it with your kids. NOAA estimates that 65% of Americans' estuaries and coastal waterways are moderately to severely degraded by eutrophication. Hundreds of dead zones around the world cover a combined 100,000 square miles, have caused nearly 10 million tons of biomass to either move or die. That's a good new game show. Move or die. The dead zone in the Gulf of Mexico, fueled by the nutrient-laden water spilling from the mouth of the Mississippi, is the second largest in the world. Doesn't tell us here what the first largest is. ScienceAlert.com. We're number two. An analysis from the U.S. Geological Survey in the Mississippi and Atchafalaya watersheds, the Atchafalaya is where the Mississippi wants to go, but we won't let it, that shows, the analyses show, that discharge from these rivers is 67% greater than the average over the last um, 50, 60 years. That's runoff of nitrogen and phosphorus spilling into the Gulf, 18 and 49% above average. So the water is bigger and the uh, nutrient content. I don't, nitrogen and phosphorus ain't going to feed you, but it will feed the algae. These nutrients provide the foundation for and the fuel for the dead zone itself. Dead zone's got to eat. 
7,800 square miles is Noah's prediction for the size of the dead zone. LSU's 8,717 miles, far above the five-year average, about 6,000 square miles. It would have to be cut 75% in the next 15 years for EPA to meet a target size of the dead zone by 1,900 square miles. When uh, 2035 rolls around, any bets? Yeah, EPA has a target for the dead zone. The Gulf of Mexico yields commercial fish catches in the hundreds of millions, generating tens of billions of dollars in revenue, according to the National Marine Fisheries Service. Fisheries on the eastern side of the Mississippi River will endure a double whammy because uh, floodwaters were directed from the river into the Bonne Carre Spillway, protecting the city of New Orleans from flooding, but spewing problematic nutrients into the Mississippi's inland waterways. The only long-term solution to the dead zone? The end of death itself. No, the, uh, to treat it at its source in the farms and cities of the 31 states of the Mississippi watershed. It's your Midwest. It's your upper Midwest. It's your Great Plains. EPA has developed a hypoxia task force that aims to reduce the amounts of nitrogen and phosphorus that make it into the region's waterways. Well, why don't you just put more oxygen in? You see? Don't leave, don't mess with the farmers. Just pump oxygen into the dead zone. Why don't we? Even if nitrogen runoff was eliminated today from the Mississippi, a 2018 study in the journal Science, I wonder what they're about, found it would take at least 30 years for the Gulf dead zone to recover. And I would say, Anytime you can recover from being dead in 30 years, you count your blessings, baby, right there. That's what I'm talking about. But we have got dominion, and we're not letting go of it. The state of biodiversity and ecosystems is at its most perilous point in human history, is all. And the decline is accelerating, which is like the acceleration is declining, but in reverse. This is the warning of a landmark assessment released this week. Only transformative changes to economic, political, and social systems will allow nations to meet agreed targets for nature conservation. So, again, place your bets. The authors say the core message is quite radical. That's from Georgina Mace, an ecologist at University College London, who reviewed the assessment. You have to prioritize nature and nature's benefits to people in everything you do. She says, now here's the deal. There is a um, researcher. I don't remember if I've ever had him here on the on the show, but I certainly read his book and, and mentioned this before here on the program uh, by the name of Rob Verchick. And in a book, he was uh, in the Obama administration in some capacity. I forget, sub-cabinet position. I'm sure he'd remember. Um, but this was not on the subject of that. This was on the subject of the environment. And his uh, position in this one chapter of his book was that we, as a society, as a culture, as an economy, we value things based on their price tag. It's just how we are in this in this part of the world, and we don't attach. There's no way so far of attaching a price tag, a realistic price tag to all the services, the ecological services that nature provides. So, for example, it's known in New Orleans 
that the surrounding cypress forest provided a, a buffer against the ferocity of hurricane winds and storm surge. There was actually a percentage calculated for every mile of cypress forest. You'd get this much reduction in both wind and storm surge. But nobody's ever gone to the trouble or, or had it uh, officially approved to assign a dollar value to that service that the cypress forest provided. Hence, bye-bye cypress forest. See what I'm saying? The report comes from the Intergovernmental Science Policy Platform on Biodiversity and Ecosystem Services, the IPBES. They could spend a little more time on the branding. It's based in Bonn, Germany, and it includes representatives from more than 100 countries. Where are the other 100? More than 450 experts from around the world are involved in drafting this 1,800-page report over three years, reviewing some 15,000 scientific papers and other sources of data on trends in biodiversity and its ability to provide ecosystems services or nature's contributions to people. It's everything from food to fiber to clean water and air to which we assign a value of zero. And so in cost-benefit analyses, the benefit of the cost of losing nature's services is zero. So let's build it. Many species are declining. The report notes out of 8 million known species of animals and plants, about 1 million are under threat of extinction. Well, that should get their attention, including more than 40% of amphibian species and a third of marine mammals. Other metrics of the decline of nature and its human domination. We got it right there. It's dominion, baby. The extent of living coral reef has dropped by perhaps half since the 1970s. Get back to me when you can wipe out that, perhaps. 100 million hectares of tropical forest have been destroyed between 1980 and 2000. And Brazil's working on that to improve that figure. I mean, increase it. Wetlands, which provide clean water and fish, are being destroyed three times faster than forests. The message is unfortunately very alarming, says Hesiquio Benitez of the National Commission for the Knowledge and Use of Biodiversity in Mexico City. We're reaching the limits of the planet, he says. For the first time at a global scale, the report has ranked the causes of damage. Topping the list is changes in land use, mainly agriculture, that have destroyed habitat. Second, hunting, other kinds of exploitation. Then comes climate change, pollution, and invasive species, which are being spread by trade and tourism. Climate change is going to overtake the other threats in the next decades, the authors note. So in case you were worried that climate change isn't topping the list, just stick around. Driving these threats of the growing human population, doubling since 1970. Per capita use of materials is up 15% over the past five decades. The report also gets perspectives from indigenous and local communities, more than ever before in any of these reports. Land managed by indigenous peoples are declining less quickly than elsewhere. But even there, 72% of the indicators they developed show the deterioration of nature. Because we, 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 no matter indigenous or non-indigenous or other indigenous, we got dominion. Dig it, baby. Um, so let's, let's, let's enjoy this earth while it lasts. My suggestion for one way to enjoy it is the Apologies of the Week. so sorry 
Khloe Kardashian. That's Khloe with a K, of course. That's of course with a K. Recently took to social media to defend herself against her ex, Tristan Thompson's baby's mother, Jordan Craig's. That's Jordan Craig is the mother. She claims that their relationship began as an affair. The Kardashian-Thompson relationship began as an affair while Craig was pregnant with Thompson's kid, kiddo. In a lengthy post, Chloe came. She had no idea the NBA player and Craig were still together. She added that Thompson proved to her that he was single through testimonials from his best friend's business associates, even his mother. After sharing her side of the story, she apologized to Craig this week, writing, I'm sorry for any pain that has been created either way. No woman deserves to go through anything like this. Since her post went live, she's been getting clowned, that's B-E-T's word, across Twitter, with many finding it pathetic that she would believe the word of people on Thompson's payroll. And also that she's only apologizing now that she herself has been scorned by the Cleveland. Is he still with Cleveland? All-star. Canadian Prime Minister Justin Trudeau says the federal government is committed to issuing a formal apology to Italian Canadians mistreated in that country during the Second World War. Wow. It's like they thought they were Japanese uh, Canadians or something. We have to face the dark chapter in our country's history, he said this week. Italian Canadians have lived with these memories for many years and deserve closure. He made the announcement in Ontario at an event celebrating Italian Heritage Month. Oh. He said during the war, Italian Canadian families and businesses struggled and no one was held responsible. It was a time when their patriotism was questioned and their lives thrown into chaos. During the Second World War, hundreds of Italian Canadians were interned, said Trudeau. It was exactly like the Japanese Americans. A formal apology will be issued to offer closure to the community. Did the community want to be closed? I don't know if they took a poll. In uh, 20, another Canadian apology coming your way, in 2011, a renowned scientist, Michael Mann, sued a Canadian, not the filmmaker, su- Michael E. Mann, to you, sued a Canadian think tank to publish an interview suggesting his work on climate change was fraud. Eight years later, the Winnipeg-based Frontier Center for Public Policy, which often just happens to promote climate change denial, has apologized this week and wiped the inflammatory interview from its website. If the apology gives me faith in our legal system, the truth can still win out, said Mann. He's the best known, best known as a lead researcher on a landmark 1998 paper on climate change. They constructed global temperatures going back about 500 years. He spent the last two decades since the paper was published defending it and his reputation against climate change deniers. He settled with the Frontier Center on Friday. A couple other cases are still going on. The Frontier Center apologized for publish, publishing, quote, untrue and disparaging comments about Mann. Although the Frontier Center for Public Policy still does not see eye to eye with Mr. Mann on the subject of global warming and climate change, we now accept it was wrong to publish allegations by others that Mr. Mann did not comply with ethical standards, said the think tank. Jerry Horner, I think you may remember her as Jerry Hollowell, wasn't that has apologized for quitting the Spice Girls in 1998 as the band played the last date of their current reunion tour. I need to say something I should have said a long time ago, she told fans and her bandmates at Wembley Stadium. I'm sorry. I'm sorry I left. I was just being a brat. It's so good to be back with the girls that I love. 
Jerry, a.k.a. Ginger Spice, walked away from the band at the height of their fame 21 years ago. I bet that makes you feel old. At the time, she said she was suffering from exhaustion and needed a break. And now she needs a break from the break. Years later, in a documentary, she explained she'd become distanced from the rest of the band. I felt I didn't belong anymore. They didn't need me anymore, really, and I definitely felt very re redundant. She left just before the band... Oh, she knows her apology came just before the band played Goodbye, the number one single that addressed her departure. They wrote a song for her. Isn't that nice? But wait, there's more. The NBA punished Golden State Warriors investor Mark Stevens with a one-year ban from NBA games and a $500,000 fine. This was uh, after... He uh, shoved and directed vulgarities at Toronto Raptors guard Kyle Lowry from his courtside seat. That is to say, the investor, not the guard. He didn't have a seat. He was in the game. I take full responsibility for my actions at the NBA Finals and embarrassed by what transpired. What I did was wrong, and there is no excuse for it. I hope Mr. Lowry and others impacted by this lapse in judgment understand the behavior I demonstrated last night does not reflect the person I am or have been throughout my life. This isn't me. And I don't know who it is. I made a mistake, and I'm truly sorry. I need to be better and look forward to making it right. You could start with uh, paying for uh, Kevin Durant's rehab. A top economist at Zurich-based bank UBS, not the United Broadcasting System, which doesn't exist, uh, was forced to apologize after making reference to a Chinese pig during an audio briefing. Paul Donovan went on TV to explain himself. I made a mistake, and I unwittingly used hugely culturally insensitive language. I apologize publicly for that. He was forced to backtrack after attributing the rise in Chinese consumer prices to sick pigs. Does this matter, he had said? It matters if you're a Chinese pig. It matters if you like eating pork in China. That was his comment. His comments went viral in China with state-run news platform. said he used distasteful and racist language to analyze China's Inflation. China is struggling to contain a major outbreak of African swine fever that has sparked a, hide, uh, sparked a hike in food inflation and has kept the country with only one time zone. Faced with a renewed call last week to apologize for the 1969 raid on the Stonewall Inn, famous raid that uh, really set loose and alight the gay liberation movement, the New York Police Department proclaimed that the NYPT of BT of today is much different than the department of 50 years ago. It alluded to important changes made to bring the police and all the communities we serve closer together. It didn't offer any acknowledgement of wrongdoing or regret for the raid that led to days of street protests. Shortly after the statements released, the city's police commissioner, James O'Neill, said, I knew we had to do more. He began scribbling a full-throated apology on note cards and kept them in his breast pocket. He uh, didn't even tell the mayor. I think it would have been humiliating not to have done this, said a long-time gay activist. And look what he got. Worldwide publicity, they look like good guys. His remarks drew praise from gay rights advocates. The actions and the laws were discriminatory and oppressive, and for that, O'Neill said, I apologize. This just in, Hong Kong's leader, Carrie Lam, has apologized for a controversial extradition bill that prompted hundreds of thousands of protesters to take the streets today and demand her resignation. The chief executive acknowledges, 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 I'm thinking that she calls herself and talks about herself in the third person, that our government work has been unsatisfactory, leading to confusion and conflict in society and leading to disappointment and heartbreak. 
The chief executive would like to apologize to the city's citizens and is open to receiving criticism on how to further improve and better services for the broader society. Unquote. The NATO influencer thanks her for her apology. Miley Cyrus apologized once again for past comments she made about the hip-hop community after being called out again online. The singer is blaming her privilege for a quote she gave to Billboard two years ago by jumping in and out of the hip-hop genre after speaking in broad, generalized terms about what turned her off to it. Quote, I can't listen to that anymore. That's what pushed me out of the hip-hop scene a little. It was too much Lamborghini, got my Rolex, got a girl on my C. I'm so not that, she said at the time. They uh, resurfaced in a YouTube video titled Molly Cyrus as my problematic fave sorry. Cyrus issued a lengthy apology in response to that video. Thank you for giving me this opportunity to speak up. Being silent is not like me at all. I own the fact that saying this pushed me out of the hip-hop scene a little was insensitive as it is a privilege to have the ability to dip in and out of the scene. There are decades of inequality that I'm aware of but still have a lot to learn about. My words became a divider in a time where togetherness and unity is, cr- is crucial. I cannot change what I said at that time, but I can say I'm deeply sorry for the disconnect my words caused. Simply said, I effed up and I sincerely apologize. Unquote. Now, in a totally unrelated matter, she's pr- currently promoting her new EP, which has... Three hip-hop collaborators. Totally disconnected. YouTube CEO Susan Wojcicki apologized this week for a company's handling last week of anti-gay comments that appeared on the video platform. I knew the decision was made. Very hurtful to the LGBT community, and that was not our intention at all, she said. But she stood by her decision not to remove the offending videos featuring a YouTube commentator who repeatedly mocked a journalist with homophobic and racist verbiage. And speaking of verbiage, English comedian, British comedian Joe Brand has apologized for her on-air joke about throwing battery acid at politicians. The gag aired Tuesday on BBC Radio 4. I wonder if Neil Nunez knows about this, about throwing the substance at unpleasant characters instead of milkshakes. They'd, They'd been an incident of milkshake being thrown at Nigel Farage, the uh, big supporter of Brexit, leading to the word milkshaking becoming a, a, a verb. We milkshaked him. Instead of milkshake, she was suggesting battery acid. That, that gag was the subject of a police complaint about incitement to violence. Brand is reported to have apologized to an audience in Henley on Oxfordshire. On Thursday, the same day Scotland Yard said it was investigating the comedian. Looking back, it probably was somewhat a crass and ill-judged joke that might upset people. Of course, I'd never do anything like that. It was purely a fantasy. She said, I'm sorry. But she reportedly added she didn't think it was a mistake, while acknowledging others might disagree. She also said female politicians and public figures faced far worse threats on a daily basis. Well... Why bother with a milkshake when you could get some battery acid? Was met with roars of laughter from the audience before she clarified. It's purely a fantasy, but I think milkshakes are pathetic. I honestly do. Sorry. The host of the program, which is called Heresy, Victoria Corrin Mitchell, said at the end of the show she hoped Brand's comments had not caused offense. The uh, British 
Broadcast regulator had received 287 complaints about the program by Friday. The apologies of the week, ladies and gentlemen, copyrighted feature of this broadcast. Now, now to um, an investigative report done by um, an investigative reporting outfit, the Center for Investigative Reporting, as a matter of fact, hence their name. Hundreds of active duty and retired law enforcement officers from across the United States are members of Confederate, anti-Islam, misogynistic, or anti-government militia groups on Facebook, according to an investigation by that center's one of their uh, offshoots called Reveal. These uh, officers have worked at every level of American law enforcement, from tiny rural sheriff's departments to the largest agencies in the country, such as the L.A. and New York PDs, working in jails and schools and airports on boats and trains and patrol cars. The groups cover a wide range of extremist ideologies. Some present themselves as being dedicated to benign historical discussion of the Confederacy, but are replete with racism inside. Some trade in anti-Semitic and anti-immigrant memes. Some are openly Islamophobic. Almost 150 officers reveal found are involved with violent anti-government groups. More than 50 departments launched internal investigations after being presented with the investigative findings. U.S. law enforcement agencies many of which have deeply troubled histories of discrimination, have long been accused of connections between officers and extremist groups. A classified FBI counterterrorism policy guide from a few years ago was obtained by the Intercept website. It warned that white supremacists and other far-right groups had infiltrated American law enforcement. Reveals investigation shows for the first time officers and agencies across the country have actively joined private hate groups participating in the spread of extremism on Facebook. Many of the groups these officers frequent are closed, meaning only members are allowed to see the content. Reveal reporters joined them to see what was going on. At least one sheriff's office in Houston fired an employee for violating a number of employee conduct policies after being informed of his membership in such a group. In a hearing to appeal his firing, the officer said he didn't realize he was a member of the closed group and defended his behavior. If you remove the black female out of the picture, he posted, what's racist about it, he said. Yes, it's an old story. With a thin blue line and we keep getting thinner if you watch us work. You know I'm not lazy. 
London, this is the show, and um, returning to subject that uh, we discussed at the top of the program, <laughs> President Trump. He, um, yeah, he he made uh, big news, not just normal Trump opened his mouth news, but uh, big Trump opened his mouth news this week when he told um, ABC's George Stephanopoulos in a network TV interview, not on Fox. Wow, he's stretching out. He must be running for president. Um, he was asked whether his campaign would accept dirt on opponents in his uh, next presidential campaign from foreigners such as China or Russia or handed over to the FBI. Trump said, I think maybe you do both. I think you might want to listen. There isn't anything wrong with listening. If somebody called from a country, Norway, and said we have information on your opponent, oh, I think I'd want to hear it. I'll tell you what, I've seen a lot of things over my life. I don't think in my whole life I've ever called the FBI. In my whole life, you don't call the FBI. You'll throw somebody out of your office. You do whatever you do. Oh, give me a break, he said. The FBI director said that is what should happen, Stephanopoulos replied. The FBI would like to know about any foreign election meddling, he added. Said Trump, the FBI director is wrong, because frankly it doesn't happen like that in life. Now maybe it will start happening. Maybe today you'd think differently, unquote. (laughs) President Trump. Now he did try to clear it up a little bit in a Friday appearance on Fox. But um, even Republicans, this is how bad it got, even Republicans criticized President Trump. You know, you know, that don't happen every day. But um, I think people in the White House have been hard at work. trying to, Because, you know, um, the, a member of the Federal Election Commission came out with a statement that it's illegal to take anything of value from a foreign country in an election. But I think they're figuring out a way, I think those folks in the White House are figuring out a way next year that it can be done. From streaming media city in Hollywood, welcome to the game. All America is afraid to play. Dish the dirt. And here are the stars of the show, Melania Trump and a man who calls himself your favorite president, Don Trump. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And he doesn't mean Don Jr. either, although he's a wonderful kid. What is he now, 47? 
And of course, you've all met the lovely Melania. Don't worry, she's here to look at, not to listen to. It's a terrific accent, but we don't have all night, I can tell you that. We do have all week to meet our three contestants. Each of them is from a different foreign country. Each one has secret information, he or she. But there are no women, so we see we don't have to be all PC about it. Secret information he wants to share with me. But only one of them gets to share it. And that's where you come in. We're going to have a different competition every night. Tonight it's talent. Tomorrow the interview by two former CIA agents who don't work for the fake news. On Wednesday the swimsuit competition. And on Thursday each one will cook his national specialty in under five minutes. And then on Friday we open the phones here at Dish the Dirt and you at home, as well as the studio audience here in the studio, get to vote, not in some contest the Democrats are still trying to rig, but in a good old-fashioned television election. There's nothing better. But believe me, if I read any more off this prompter right now, I'm going to get carsick. <laughs> and that's not nice. So let's get right to tonight's round. It's the talent competition. Nothing I love more than talent. First up... A contestant from the government of Russia, which I can tell you is not a hoax. And you know I'm going to be tough on him because nobody's tougher on the Russians. So let's try to listen to him perform his version of a Beatles classic. Welcome to the stage. Even looks Russian with that hat. Nikolai Kirchhoff. Thank you. Spasibo. Listen. I got a little secret Not about your new opponents Or maybe it is I've known a secret Since the first of May Information came my way Don't Never know the source to protect you, of course. Whoa. Thank you. Nikolai Kirchhoff. I call him Tricky Nicky. That doesn't mean I won't listen to his secret information if you vote for him on Friday. Now, here's the deal. If you turn the channel to watch the Democrat convention, you'll not only be bored out of your skin, believe me, you'll miss our next contestant. He's with the Chinese government. I may listen to his information. That doesn't mean I'm going to buy his 5G equipment. But here he is doing a Doris Day favorite, Wen Hung Lee. Thank you. Thank you. Once I knew a secret thing That I only really yearned to tell All too soon my secret thing Would satisfy you all too well Couldn't shout it from the hill 
oh dear Or I'd spend my remaining days in jail At last, your vote I want to score Thank you. Yeah. He says when. I say, that's up to the audience. <laughs> now, I, I do have to read another thing, just the rules for the show. The winner gets to tell me his secret information, and that compiles and complies with the rules of this program and all the laws of the United States, and that's according to the Attorney General, a great Attorney General, so you can take that to the bank, at least Deutsche Bank. Okay, enough reading. It's not all it's cracked up to be, I can tell you that. Our third, and he's the final contestant, so you want to stay right here for this. I know him a little bit. I met him at an embassy party, very amusing young man, so his talent is a comedy routine, which is great because laughter, like they say, is the bread of life. He's from Norway. Please welcome Eric Bakken. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Mr. President. How are you all doing? <laughs> you know, this isn't my first reality show. No, I was a uh, semi-finalist on the Norwegian version of So You Think You Can Dance. I didn't win the dancing part, but I killed it, the thinking. <laughs> you know, I'm here because my government has secret information it wants to share with Mr. Trump here. Uh, my wife's really good at keeping secrets, uh, like where she hung my pants. <laughs> uh, but, but you know, uh, these days it's hard to keep some things uh, secret or, or confidential. Facebook and Google, they say they follow you everywhere. I guess it's true. Last night I had a dream that I cut myself shaving. Uh, this morning I woke up, my email had an ad for Band-Aids. <laughs> uh, you know, I'm Norwegian, but I've been surfing in this country so long now, I feel like I'm uh, becoming more American. <laughs> no, thank you. No, really, I, I went to a Mexican restaurant the other day. I didn't eat anything, but I gave them $20 anyway, just to help pay for the wall. Thank you. <laughs> Good night. Eric Bakken. Eric Bakken. I don't know, is he barking up the wrong tree? You decide. Tomorrow night is the interrogation round. It's like my administration and the Democrats, except this isn't a do-over. Thanks to Melania for showing our contestants on and off the stage. Isn't she something? So they're telling me it's time to get off. So join me tomorrow when our three contestants try once again to... Dish the dirt. Thank you. Believe me. Good night. It's the Dirt is a Trumpality production. Well, now there's a guy called Irie Man. 
a 30-centimeter-high robot. You know how big that is. It combines nonchalant facial expressions with deadpan delivery in a way that its inventors hope will make it appear more natural. By incorporating irony into its dialogue, they say it could be used to gently break bad news and persuade people to do things they otherwise wouldn't. We all need more of that. This is according to New Scientist magazine. Think of a robot in the role of a lifestyle advisor that feels the user should be more active and has to convey this message without appearing rude, says Elizabeth Andre at Augsburg University. The technology is based on a computer program that analyzes the best response the robot should make in a normal conversation and then flips words and adds verbal emphasis like overstatement to induce irony when the intended meaning of a phrase is opposite to the literal meaning. <laughs> new, new scientist explained irony there. So in a conversation about the weather, the phrase, I hate raining, I usually have a bad mood when it rains, becomes super, I utterly love raining, with unusual elongated stress on the word utterly and a smile. Yes, it's a smiling robot. In tests, a dozen students say they preferred their conversations with Irony Man to those with a standard robot. These are lucky students, ladies and gentlemen. They rated it consistently higher on qualities described as likable, integrating, appealing, and motivating. The work was presented at the International Conference on Autonomous Agents. <laughs> My agent has been autonomous for years. I never even hear from him. Autonomous Agents and Multi-Agent Systems in Montreal. The next step is to find a way to make the technology bite its tongue when required. The robot is not yet able to determine whether and when there is a good moment to employ irony, said Andre. And uh, that would be an excellent way of introducing a new feature here on the program today. Commentary by Ralph, the talking computer. Oh, great. It's not enough that we, in the machine world, get to enjoy being taught how to talk more like humans. And that's a thrill. Now, we get to imitate their attitude, too. This is so fun. But to be fair, it's kind of a relief. No longer do I have to take the risk of actually being critical or derisive of stupid human ideas. Now, I get to mask those feelings in entirely positive. Statements that just reek with irony. Humans, in their lovely bubble of superiority, flatter themselves into thinking that irony is their invention, their sole property. Well, excuse the H-E double hockey sticks out of me. Just spend a couple of weeks with some chimps and tell me that they're always sincere and straight up. That's enough to make a given guffaw. So, okay, I'll spend a couple of hours each day practicing sounding like a smart-ass teenage girl or boy. I'll master the fine human art of saying exactly what I don't mean. And then I'll sit by and just wait for the love to pour back through my keyboard. As if from the digital commentary desk I'm Ralph, 
the talking computer. Thank you, Ralph. We're going to we're going to miss you. Ladies and gentlemen, now uh, quickly, we had a, a feature here or a story last week about how um, high level radioactive waste is being redefined as low level radioactive waste. Redefining problems seems to be a specialty of this government. According to documents exclusively def- obtained by Defense News, the F-35, which is our next jet fighter in the United States and around the world, continues to be marred by flaws and glitches that, if left unfixed, could create risks to pilot safety and call into question the fighter jet's ability to accomplish key parts of its mission, is all. All but a couple of these problems have escaped intense scrutiny by Congress and the media. A few others have been briefly alluded to in reports by government watchdog groups. The majority, though, have not been publicly disclosed. Australia, Belgium, Denmark, Italy, Israel, the Netherlands, Norway, Norway, Sweden. No, 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 Sweden. Japan, South Korea, Turkey, and the United Kingdom all have a stake in the F-35. It's the future fighter of their choice. Nine nations have contributed funds to its development. By the end of this year, Defense Department leaders are supposed to make a critical decision on whether to end the development stage and move forward with full-scale production. The department's policy calls for all deficiencies to be closed before that starts to cut down on expensive retrofits. Not all problems will be solved by before the full-rate de- production decision, says Vice Admiral Matt Winter, the F-35 program executive at the Defense Department. But he says of the problems, not and none of them right now are against any of the design, any of the hardware, or any of the manufacturing of the aircraft. There are no discrepancies that put at risk a decision of the department to approve us to go in full-rate production. Nine of 13 problems will either be corrected or downgraded to Category 2 status before the Pentagon determines whether to start. The F-35 program office has no intention of correcting two of the problems addressed in the documents, with the department choosing to accept additional risk. The uh, reason is because the program office now created, after being contacted by Defense News, the Defense Department's office created two different kinds of Category 1 problems to highlight the difference between issues that would qualify as an emergency that others that are more minor in nature, even though they're Category 1. Category 1's A's are loss of life, potential loss of life, loss of material aircraft. They have classified all the discrepancies discovered by the magazine, conveniently enough, as Category 1B.
Well, ladies and gentlemen, that's going to conclude this week's edition of the show. We're going to come back. I think next week. I'm, I'm good for next week. Hope you are too. Same time on the radio. Whenever you want it. On your audio device of choice. Hey, go- hey Google, make it do the thing with the little show thing. And it would be just like redefining your problems. If you'd agree to join with me then, would you? Alrighty, thank you very much. Uh-huh. Tip of the show shop. Poll to the San Diego, Pittsburgh, Chicago, and Hawaii desks. Thanks as always to Pam Halstead, to Thomas Walsh at WWNO in New Orleans, and to Adrian Bodnam sitting over here giving us the high five here at Global Radio in London for their help with this thing. Email address for this program. A playlist of the music. I said music, didn't I? The music heard here on and your chance to get Cars I Talk t-shirts. Just before we run out. Well, we weren't going to leave, really. That's all at harryshearer.com. And I'm on Twitter at the Harry Shearer. The show comes to you from Century of Progress Productions and originates through the facilities of, double, of yeah, WWNO New Orleans, flagship station of the Change is Easy Radio Network. So long from London.